Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Oh, what a beautiful day. I just, <laughs> I love getting together with y'all and just worshiping Jesus. Ain't nothing like it, right? I just love it. Praise, give Him praise, give Him praise in the highest, right? <sighs> he is worthy. He's worthy of all praise. Well, we're continuing in our study in the book of Acts. You can be turning in your Bible to Acts chapter 13. That's where we let off last week. This missionary team of Paul and Barnabas, uh, they had come to Perga, the very southern shore of Turkey, on their first missionary journey. And uh, from Perga, they, they traveled up to Antioch of Pisidia. Somewhere in that little transition, they lost John Mark. He left, went back home from Perga. And then when they got there to Antioch of Pisidia, they did what they would always do, the pattern that was modeled to them by Jesus. They would go to the synagogue first. They would go to the people uh, that knew the Lord. They knew the Scriptures. They knew the Messiah. They knew the promises, and they would declare to them, those promises that you've been reading about, that you've been praying about, that you've been looking for, that you've been hoping for, they've come true. They're al He's alive. His name is Jesus. And that's what they would preach. But Often, then, a spirit of envy and jealousy would enter into some of those Jews who didn't like the idea that God would be nice to other people and themselves. Somehow they thought, we're the holy ones, we're the blessed ones, how could God be nice to all them heathen, all those wicked people? That just isn't right. Well, they obviously, they weren't right, they didn't know the Lord God. He ended by quoting out of the Scriptures, Habakkuk 1.5, Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which, will by no which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it, declare it to you. Habakkuk wrote during the days when the Judah was about to go into captivity into Babylon, and they just couldn't believe that God would punish them like that, that God would do that wicked thing to them. And yet God had been promising all along, you turn from me, I'm sorry, but I'm still here, but I can't see you, I can't help you, you need a time out. And that was what was Habakkuk's day, but now Paul has applied it to his present day as he's going out on the mission field sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 42 of Acts chapter 13 so, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Encore! More! Tell us more about Jesus. Give me Jesus. I want that hope. I want that joy. I want that peace. I want that forgiveness. I want those promises. Bring us more Jesus. Verse 43, now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul. They joined themselves to them. They attached themselves to them. They became disciples. That's what that means. They followed Paul. They said, teach us what you know. Lead us to Jesus. Paul and Barnabas, who's speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. 
not by works, lest any man should boast. But because God so loved the world, he graced us. He gave us the free gift of forgiveness in his son, Jesus Christ. Continue in that grace. It's interesting. They're up in Pisidia, the region of central Turkey on the high plateau. North of that is Galatia. And in the letter to the Galatians, Paul would later write, I marvel that you've turned so quickly from the gospel that was preached to you. How people can be fickle. But he's, con he's con uh, encouraging them, continue in the grace. Not the works. You can't do it that way. Just enjoy the ride. Receive the Holy Spirit. Walk according to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the Word of God. We talked about this last week. Uh, Pisidia and Antioch is a great regional hub, and the whole region numbered about 100,000 people back in those days. Not, not too much unlike Twin Falls would be this, uh, this region. And it says, uh, it's interesting there, nearly the whole city came together to hear the Word of God. Now, it's hard to imagine 100,000 people coming together in any one place, and yet we see that at Super Bowl. I mean, you guys watched that. It happened, right? And these things do happen when there's something worth seeing. And uh, <laughs> Super Bowl, great game, fun, all that kind of stuff. But Jesus is in the house. I'm going to be there, right? They're preaching God. It says, everybody showed up, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. Blaspheming, I'm sorry. And they opposed the things spoken by Paul. How sad. How terribly sad. You know, this is so true as you get out into ministry, you get out into the world, you become a missionary, you go out on the road, and you see people that are out there, and they're just working hard, decade in, decade out, and just doing what God has called them to do faithfully there. And all of a sudden, something happens in their community and another church comes in and just takes off and starts growing and there's a tendency to be envious there's a tendency to complain there's a tendency to even contradict what god is doing and blaspheme speak against what god is doing in that church springs family if that would happen here in Minakasha, and all of a sudden, somewhere in this year, some church comes in and they plant and, you know, preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, you know, and they just explode. And they're like, this time next year, there are 5,000 people. Is that good or bad? Okay, it's a really easy math thing, right? There was 5,000 people that didn't know Jesus, and now there's 5,000 people that do. That's good. Who wins? Jesus wins. The kingdom of heaven wins. The church, universal, wins. And so it's wrong for us when we look at what other people are doing in other ministries and other churches to look at them and, and become envious 
of that. God has called us here to do what we do. He's called them there to do what they do. As much as possible, we work together with one another, but we just need to be faithful in our calling and see that. But this root of envy, this root of bitterness, is springing up in the Jewish community there. So what did they do? They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. It's funny, and this is a theme you're going to watch over and over this morning and throughout the rest of the Bible, that when Satan steps up, Paul, Christians, you step up and you just stand your ground, right? You just, you just put on that full armor of God and you stand. You become bold. When the world starts coming against you, this is not the time to turn tail and run. You don't necessarily have to get in there and, and, and use their tactics. We don't war with the weapons that they war with. We, we war with love, <laughs> with peace, with joy, with hope, with promises, with the gospel. But nevertheless, they grew bold and said, it was necessary that the Word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we return to the Gentiles. It's difficult when you're witnessing to people over and over and over, and they're just like, meh, doesn't make sense to me, eh. Don't have time for that. Eh. That's just, you know, they just keep rejecting you and rejecting you. What did Paul and Barnabas do? What did, what is our example? Okay, you've heard it. I'm moving on. That's hard. It's really hard when it's people close to you. It's really hard. But you can sometimes preach until you're blue in the face and not have any impact. These guys are out on the mission field. And I've had people, you know, challenge me as missionaries. We'd be out in the mission field and just continue doing that work. And they go, why do you waste all that time and money going to foreign countries? You could preach the gospel right here, you know. Well, I know, and we do. But, you know, in America, a study that was done, it was a couple decades ago, but Maybe it's a little less now, but they did a study of Americans who had heard the gospel preached in a, in a way viable, that, that it was clear enough, full strength enough, that they would have an opportunity to receive or to reject Jesus Christ and the good news. And this study, going around the population of America, found that most Americans, on average, had received a viable opportunity to receive Jesus Christ, hear the gospel 17 times in their life. Now, for some people, for some of your friends, it might be 2,000 because you keep going. But even Joe Blow out on the street has probably had opportunity to confess, repent, believe, and get on with the Lord 17 times in America. And yet, you go out onto the mission field, and there are many nations and people groups that have not heard the gospel one time. So it's not a matter of whether we should preach here or that we should preach there. We should preach everywhere, here and there. And it's so amazing when you go into these foreign cultures who have not known the Lord but have been praying 
to receive it that revival breaks out. And just like here uh, in Antioch, Pisidia, the Jews are like, preach more, give encore, we want to hear more about this, right? And revival breaks out because they're hungry to know the truth. And sometimes you just have to turn away for another day. Talking to a dear brother of mine this morning, he's got an appointment this afternoon with somebody he witnessed to for decades. And that person just laughed at him, blew him off, but just got a phone call from this person's spouse that he wants to talk to this brother today. He's about to die. He knows he's about to die. He's totally on hospice, hooked up all the different tubes, life support stuff. And this person that he mocked and ridiculed, the spouse said, he's terrified of dying. He's freaking out. He's, he's, he's on the precipice of eternity, and he is terrified. <sighs> Call that brother up, that guy that used to bug me. We need to talk. You know, we don't know what tomorrow brings, but today, if they want to reject you, you've got to stand, okay? Brought you the gospel. We're moving on. There's other souls out there that need to hear this. It's a hard call, right? In the book of Romans, as Paul lays out this picture of Jesus coming to bring the good news to the Jews first, because A, he's a Jew of the Jews, born to the Jews. He's the promised Messiah. From Genesis on through, he's the one the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures spoke about, but then they reject him. We're watching this rejection from envy come on. In Romans chapter 10, uh, Paul writes that, God says to the nation of Israel, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. God allows these things to happen in our lives. Sometimes we cannot reach those people we're trying to reach. And God is going to use other people in their life. I'm going to, I'm going to provoke you to jealousy. You're going to want what they got. You had 17 opportunities to receive it. You blew me off every time. I'm going to go give it to somebody else. And when they watch you give it to somebody else, and that person is born again, their sins are forgiven, they're no more shame, no more guilt, no more, no more freaking out. They, they're loving life. They're not terrified. They want to go to heaven. Then they look on that person and go, I want that. He continues. He says, um, I'll, I'll read it, verse 46. It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, and now we're going to get a quote out of Isaiah, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. It's a beautiful quote. It really starts in Isaiah 49, that's a, a passage in the Scriptures which speaks of Messiah, God's suffering servant, the servant of God. And in Isaiah, I'll back up to verse 5 of Isaiah 49, and now the Lord says, who formed me, this is Messiah, this is Jesus speaking right here in the Old Testament, who formed me from the womb to be His servant, 
to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. The Lord formed me to bring back the nation of Israel. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it's too small of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. You're my son, my only begotten son. Just raising up the Jews, bringing them back home, that's just too small. We got to do bigger stuff. It's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my servant to the ends of the earth. I love it because that's speaking of Messiah. But in the New Testament, Luke, who's writing here in the book of Acts, he also wrote in the Gospel of Luke at the time when Jesus was born... I just quoted out of this this morning in Luke chapter 2 for our dedication. Well, in Luke chapter 2, at verse 25, when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple, there was a man there named Simeon. And this is what Simeon has to say, Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And so we know this Messiah, this is Jesus. This is was Simon's great joy to receive that light, not only for him that he'd been waiting for his whole life, but that God brought for the whole world. That you should be salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 48, now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Woohoo! God likes us. Woohoo! God's shining on us. He's brought us light. He's brought us love. He's brought us hope. He's brought us Jesus. Woo! The Gentiles are just wigging out happy. This is great, you know, glory days. This is wonderful. God's visited us. God loves us. God's going to make us his children. He's going to take us to heaven. They're happy. They heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Whew! Hallelujah. This is why we go out and share the good news. This is why we support missions work. That's why we go out to Walmart here. This is why we go out to the ends of the earth. That some people might receive those appointed to eternal life that they could hear and hearing believe. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God, we stand up and just preach the word bold. This is what God said. Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the regions. So now it's just going everywhere. Pisidia, Galatia, all of these territories uh, in what is now modern-day Turkey on this, 
missionary trip. The word spreading, right? They go into a big city. They go to the synagogue. They preach the word. The Jews reject them. They go speak it to the Gentiles. The Gentiles get all excited. They don't know that they're supposed to keep it to themselves. They just start spreading it everywhere. And this is how it works. Repeat, repeat, repeat. That's how it works. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women, and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. <sighs> Sometimes you got to dance through the darkness, sing through the fire, praise when it don't make sense. Sometimes you got to stare down the giant, worship from the lion's den. Sometimes it's just not easy. There's going to be naysayers. There are going to be those that come along. Verse 50, the Jews stirred up devout and prominent women and chief men and raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and they came to Iconium. Just pause, park it there for just a minute. In Luke chapter 9, when Jesus sent the twelve out to be His witnesses, to bring the good news. He writes in verse 1 of Luke 9, Then He called His twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And He said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust of your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns and preached the gospel, healing everywhere. Here we see it again. They shook off the dust from their feet. That's what Jesus told us to do. Don't let any of that cling to you. Easier said than done. Most of us, when we've been out preaching and sharing Jesus with people we know and love, and they reject the word we share, they reject our Lord, we feel like they've rejected us, we let that cling to us. And over time, it can accrue to quite a bit of dust. Jesus says, shake it off. Don't carry that with you. They didn't reject you. They're rejecting me. Shake it off right? Isn't that what we say like in sports? Somebody's out on the field and heavy competition and they just get knocked hard, right? The wind gets knocked out of them. They get their bell rung and everybody goes around, come on, come on, get up, shake it off, shake it off. We got a battle here. We're in the middle of the game. Let's keep going. Shake it off. Don't let all that cling to you. You're going to have to go forward. It, it's not going to be easy, but we've got to do it. They shook off the dust from their feet against them and they came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So, they went, they shared the gospel. All these people in Antioch, Pisidia, are receiving the Lord. And now, they've been rejected. People are treating them hostile. What do they do? They move. Well, let's go somewhere else. They came to Iconium. Iconium now is about 60 miles east of Antioch of Pisidia. So, a couple days' journey. They're heading on over to this, and it again, like Antioch, it's a commercial, regional hub of this area. Verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1, now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews. I wonder where they got that idea. It's just what we do. It's just how you go. You 
They, they go to people, you've already heard about Jesus, let me tell you the good news. In America, again, 17 times people have heard the gospel. People are in churches all over the place, and yet you can go and share with them, and many of them have not actually received the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. You know, this, this judgment should begin in the house of the Lord first. We're, we need to clean up our program, and then we go out into the world. That's kind of that picture. So they went to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. Every time they show up, whoo, thank you for coming and sharing Jesus with me, right? Fun to watch that one. Verse 2, but unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. They embittered their souls. Did God really say... You believe that Genesis stuff? You think the earth was flooded and all these people or Noah's Ark and, and they just start going down the list. And you find this in churches. Bit embittered their souls, poisoned their minds against the brethren. Verse 3, therefore they left because after all, nobody wants to listen to me. Anybody? I'm waiting for somebody to argue with me right now. That's not what your Bible says, is it, Tracy? I know, right? Therefore, they stayed there a long time. I'm going to work with you. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to cut and run. I'm here to save your life. And sometimes it might be a while. We might have to dig in. They stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Oh, beautiful. Just as Jesus said to them in the beginning of the book of Acts here, Luke records that Jesus told them that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and begin to both do and to teach as Jesus did in the power of the Holy Spirit. And signs and wonders were done by their hands. Verse 4, But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And so... They stayed until it became hostile. They stayed until it became dangerous. They stayed until somebody might get hurt. Again, this isn't a surprise. Jesus foretold this is what's going to happen. In Matthew chapter 10, picking up at verse 16, again, part of what He taught them when He sent them out to be witnesses, He says, Behold, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. This is awful. It's what we're watching in the world today as society just deconstructs 
and we see people turning on one another. Verse 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they had called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? And Jesus would say, as he prayed to them in the upper room, they're doing this because they, they don't like me. They hated me first. Just know this, church. This is, this is something we're seeing in real time today in Jesus' day, Paul and Barnabas' day. This is just kind of, this is the nature of the game. I, I hearken back to the Super Bowl, right? And whether you follow football or you don't follow football, you know that you get out on the field, you play the game, everything doesn't always go your way. You take your bumps, you take your lumps, you get hit, you get knocked down, and then you go home because it's hard. It's the Super Bowl. You don't. You just you play injured. You keep going. How much more so as we're saving souls? Seriously, you're already going home. You've already got your ticket. All the more reason why you need to be out there pitching for others. I've heard of this wicked thing that's going around right now in the church. There's a lot of people because of COVID and weird things, a lot of people have got way too into their head and thinking, and they're, and they're thinking that somehow God has skipped out on the church. These are people, church people, they've shifted their views. They no longer believe in the rapture. They no longer believe in the millennium. They believe that Jesus came back in 70 AD, and now we're living in the kingdom of the saints, and it's our joy and privilege to usher in the kingdom of heaven. I'm like, are you kidding me? If this is the kingdom of heaven, I misread this thing because this is awful. And so I want out, yeah. And so there's this thing that's going around now, and they're calling it the rescue rapture. And it's a really snarky way of describing people who believe that just because I'm saved, I'm going to be raptured. I got my golden ticket, so I'm just going to sit here on my blessed reassurance and do nothing. And they're saying these people that believe in the rapture, they're good for nothing. It's like, absolutely not. That's totally wrong. You completely misinterpreted the Scriptures. The reason that we believe that we need to get busy saving souls is He could come any day. We don't have time to fiddle around. We need more people in the boat. Get on the bus. It's it's time to go now. When violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, you, you know what? You have my permission. If you're sharing with somebody someday, they pick up a rock and they start throwing at you. You can leave. <laughs> right. If you want to count yourself unworthy of eternal life and judge yourself, okay. Verse 6, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding region, and there they were preaching the gospel there. Okay, so now they're moving on. 
They went from Antioch of Pisidia to Iconium. They stayed there for a long time, but eventually people got hostile. They moved on again. They go to um, Lystra and Derby. Um, this is about 19 miles south of Iconium, okay? So just moving around, uh, kind of covering some ground, new people. But one of the things is it's becoming very cross-cultural, Okay, even in the ancient world, even amongst the Greeks and the Romans, there were all different kinds of people. That's why they had these region names, such as Iconium or uh, Philistia or uh, all these things. They, they, they didn't all hold the same values. So they went to a new group of people, verse 8, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Okay. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, I can see this guy believes me. I can see this guy has received Jesus Christ. I can see the hope, the joy in his eyes. I can see this guy, he's got Jesus. You know that to be the case. If you've shared Jesus with people and there's that moment where you see they believe. You know, you've been trying and trying, all of a sudden the light comes on. Wow. Well, he, seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up, straight on your feet. And he leaped and he walked. That takes boldness. That takes boldness. This is the same thing we watch Peter and John do at the gate. Beautiful, right? They're coming in. There's that guy, lame all his life. Stand up. Silver and gold I have not, but what I do have, stand up, right? And we saw Jesus do the same thing, crippling or, or healing the lame. So, this is something that it's happening in the early church. In verse 11, now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian languages, the God have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. It's kind of crazy, but again, in their culture, in this Hellenistic, this Greek society, in this Roman Empire, people had all different kinds of things they believed in. And uh, a Roman poet by the name of Ovid recorded this story. It kind of helps uh, explain what's going on. It's part of Greek folklore, and this story is about Zeus and Hermes. Okay, Zeus is a Greek super god. He's the big god of the the, the Greek pantheon of gods. In, in, uh, the Romans call him Jupiter, interchangeable. Zeus, Jupiter, just from what we're talking about. And there's Hermes, also known as Mercury uh, to the Romans. Okay, so these two guys, and they're calling him, you're Zeus and you're Hermes. And it's kind of fun, you watch this. Now, they called Barnabas Zeus, that's like the big dude, the big dog. And then they called Paul Hermes. Hermes comes from the idea of this Greek god. We know him also as Mercury in the Romans. Um, he is the speaker for Zeus. He's the spokesman. So who does all the talking? Paul. And Barnabas is just there like just a solid rock. And so you must be the spokesman. You must be Hermes. You must be Mercury. If you've ever seen in Greek mythology, there's a, a, a god by the name of, of Hermes or Greek, he has on his sandals little wings, if you might remember that from your school days or whatever. And those wings enabled him to fly around and be that messenger, this interpreter for the gods. He would speak to the people on earth for 
the gods, okay? So he was the spokesman. Um, kind of interesting, if you're a Bible student, you'll come across a course you'll take someday called hermeneutics. It comes from the idea of Hermes, Hermes the messenger, Hermes the interpreter. And so when you go to seminary, you study hermeneutics, which is the way to understand, the way to under interpret the scriptures, okay? That's the study of hermeneutics. But this is what they're, they're claiming these guys do. Now, Ovid, the poet, he tells this story that once upon a time in their antiquity, Zeus and Hermes visited earth, and he came to Phrygia, the Phrygian hill country. This is where Lystra and Derby are, in the Phrygian hill country. And they were turned away by over 1,000 homes as they're going through the community. Nobody will let them come and stay at their house until finally this couple from Lystra, a couple by the name of Philemon and Bacchus, showed, him, showed them hospitality. And as a favor to this wonderful couple, they turned their humble, modest house into a palace with marble pillars and a gold dome. And so that's how the, the, the legend would go when, when Zeus and Hermes visited, because, and all these other houses turned them away, but they put a blessing there. So now they worship these two gods, and they've got this temple there in Lystra, and they go to worship at it. And one of the things about the worship is, we, I hope we learned our lesson. If Zeus and Hermes ever should come and visit us again, we need to be hospitable. We need to welcome them. Don't make the same mistake as all those other people did. Be sure that when they come here, we roll out the red carpet for them. So that's kind of Greek folklore. And that's what these missionaries, these apostles ran into these superstitious pagan beliefs. As they're going out sharing the gospel, they run headlong into this weird uh, myth, okay? Um, and Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Verse 13, then the priest of, Ze then the priest of Zeus, so now this is the people in Lystra. They have their temple. They have a priest at their temple. He's called the priest of Zeus because he worships Zeus and leads everybody in worshiping Zeus. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, He did not leave Himself without a witness in that He did good, he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. They had to change tactics a little bit. They still want to bring Jesus. They want to bring the gospel. They want to bring the good news. But these people don't know their scriptures. They can't go back and say, Moses said this. Who's Moses? So now he goes, well, this is what you believe. Well, God, the real God, He's not left himself without a witness. He brings the rain. He brings the sun. He brings the crops. All of these kinds of things. But this stuff you're doing is useless. Now, that's a dangerous thing to walk in amongst a group of people that have a belief system and dismantle their belief system 
and say that it's useless. You're wasting your time. These gods that you've worshipped for generations, <laughs> they're not real. They're not legit. We have that problem in our community right now. It's huge. We are one of the greatest mission fields in North America because there are so many people here that follow a God that is not really a God. They follow another gospel. And as you try to share that with them and dismantle the, the beliefs that they have built on false foundations, you can really run into a buzzsaw. Well, this is what's going to happen. And with these sayings, verse 18, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. <laughs> Just a, a thought, <laughs> side note, probably shouldn't bring it in because then I'll run long this morning. I remember when I was down in South America once, we were on a mission trip. We were in near Pucolpa, a, a city on the headwaters of the Ucayali River. It drains the Andes Mountains into the Amazon Basin. So we're back in the Amazon rainforest, and we're out there in this little village called Santa Maria. It was like a little uh, town that kind of had sprung up on the edge of where they were clear-cutting all the forests. And uh, in this town, uh, a lady came. We were there to help build a church. So we're working on the church, just building this church for these people that live out there. And uh, people came over, and they came up to me, and they said, this lady, this lady needs to talk to you. And this old, frail lady came up to me. Her name was Edith, and she came up to me, and in Spanish, she, start, she was going on, and I had to go through an interpreter, but she says, my husband's dying. Please come pray for my husband. Bless my husband, pastor. And I'm like, I'm not a pastor. I don't even need, I can't even hardly nail these boards together. I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not a pastor. But she wouldn't stop because she was just, you know, desperate for her husband. So we put down our hammers and we walked across to where her little hut was. Some boards kind of hung up together. The whole house was a little bit bigger than the stage I'm standing on, not much. And it was divided into two places. The front room, it was all dirt floor, and there was a hole where there was a fire, where there was uh, coals and stuff smoking, and where the pot was there where they would cook. And then there was a little partition and like a, a screen, and you go into another room, and there on the floor, it was kind of muddy and dirt, were these wooden planks, and on one of the planks was her husband, Mateo. And Mateo was dying, and I didn't know what to do. I'm not a priest. I don't have training. I don't know what to do. I just prayed for Mateo. I just asked God just to bless him and, and give Edith peace in this time of need. I prayed, Lord, heal him if it's your will. But Lord, your will be done. You know, Edith and Mateo, they love you. You, you do what you need to do with them. And later that afternoon when we went back to the village, we got word Mateo died. I don't know the rest of the story yet, but when I get to heaven, I am so looking forward to seeing Edith and Mateo and seeing, you know, this is what God has done. But, but they came and they thought, oh, you're a pastor, you're Zeus, you're Hermes. I'm like, I'm nothing, I'm a knucklehead. But nevertheless, I know the gospel, I know my Lord Jesus, I know my testimony, I can share that with you. And that's what they did. They could scarcely restrain them from stoning them. Verse 19, then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. Seriously? Seriously, okay? You got nothing better to do with your life than drop what you're doing and chase these guys all around the country. 
We're talking now they're 80 miles away from home and going from town to town and just pestering and bugging them and trying to ruin their ministry. This is, what, this is how bitter these, these people are. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium. It reminds me of, what's the thing on, um, on the internet nowadays when people are, um, they put out something, trolls. You know, all these people, they got nothing better to do than watch all these obscure sites, and then they're just trolls, and they just, they talk, they just say negatives. It's like, seriously, you got nothing better to do, you trolls. Anyways, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. There you go. That should do it, don't you think? Right? Sometimes you got to shout from the mountain louder in the valley, trusting he's going to get you there. Sometimes you got to welcome the wonder, wait for the answer, worship your hands in the air. And as they do that, they just start getting rained on by rocks. And they pummeled him. They knocked him to the ground. They thought he was dead. I would even wager Paul thought he was dead. The reason I say that is because we read in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 12, Paul writing about himself, it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, this syncs up, 2 Corinthians to where we're at in Acts today, whether in the body, I do not know, whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. This is the heaven where God dwells, not just the sky, not just the universe, but where God is, heaven. Verse 3, and I know such a man. He's talking in the third person because he's really like, man, it's hard to even understand what happened to me. And I know such a man, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it's not lawful for me to utter, a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he seems me to be. And so here's Paul relating 14 years later an experience where I think I went to heaven. I think I was there with God. I don't know. It's, hard to, it's really hard for me to express what's going on. In fact, it says it's unlawful. I'm, I, really don't, I don't even have the vocabulary. I don't have the language. Words can't describe what I experienced. Well, here we are back in Acts. <laughs> Verse 19, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and drug him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, <laughs> you know, that's usually like the end, but there's more. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. <gasps> wow, he's alive. I think there's a pulse. I think he's breathing. He's alive. He's not just alive. He's not like partly alive. He stands up. Now, stoning is not an easy thing. He's been beat to smithereens. So the point should be dead. Very well was dead. And now he's, boom, 
He's up. And imagine in that place, (laughs) had you been there, done that, got the band-aids to prove it, you're like, I just saw God. What do we do next? (laughs) I'm going back in. I'm going, we're not done yet here, right? I just love it, right? Sometimes you got to praise in the prison, cry out to heaven, shout till the doors swing wide. Sometimes you got to stand on your shackles, brave in the battle, worship with your hands held high. And it says, he went back in. The disciples gathered around, he rose up and he went into the city. The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. He went back into town and finished his message. I'm not done yet. Y'all need to know Jesus. You want to go to heaven? I just did. It's good. Verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. These are all the places that chased them out of town. Now they're going back. What would that do for you? If you walked out of this building today, you're going down to Walmart, you tell somebody about Jesus, and they all jump on you and stone you to death. And you pop back up and like, I'm going to heaven. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm going back and telling all those people. Yeah. Right? I love that. Well, maybe that is who we are. Do you know you're a child of God? Do you know you're heaven bound? You know your ticket's already been purchased. It's punched. You're on your way. What's going to stop you? Who can stand against us? Nobody. They get back up. They go in. They go back to city after city after city. And a little spoiler warning. I'm not going to go into great detail, but next page in your Bible Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. There was a young man there that day who watched this. He saw what happened. Paul and Barnabas, well, they're going to split up their teams, but Paul's going to come back through this city in his second missionary journey. We're going to read about that when we get into the next chapters. But in chapter 16, as he comes through the city, he meets a young man who would have been present that day, watched all those things, was so very impressed. And at that point, when they come back on the second visit, they go to that city, this young man joins the team. His name? Timothy. Timothy was there. Kind of cool. You don't know what's happening when the world's just beating the snot out of you. People are watching. And they preached in... The gospel of that city, they went to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. If somebody has not told you this, let me disabuse you of the notion that becoming a Christian, a follower of Christ, is happily ever after. It's not a fairy tale. It's real life, and it's got real trouble. Jesus would say to his disciples, peace I give you, but in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, right? 
So when they had appointed elders in every church, as they went back, just as we talked about, they made sure there's somebody there that can oversee this thing, appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting and commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. And after that, they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Worship team, come on up. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done, right? This is the most beautiful thing. When you step out in the name of Jesus Christ, you're going to see things that you know you didn't do. Hey, I see you got faith. Stand up. Get on your feet. And he does. And you see people saved and healed. And you realize that's not you. You're not that bright. You're not that brilliant. You didn't convince them. You didn't talk them into becoming a Christian. It's the Holy Ghost. They get convicted. They got broken just like you. They recognize their need for salvation, whether it's on a deathbed in the hospital this afternoon or wherever it might be. You preach the Word and people will receive. Verse 27, Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's why they were commissioned. That's why they prayed and fasted, laid hands on them, and sent them out, that the gospel would go forth, a light unto the Gentiles, that all nations might know. Just as Jesus told His disciples, Matthew chapter 28, Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. You just get busy with what I've commissioned you to do. So it wasn't just Paul and Barnabas. It's everybody who calls on Jesus Christ. We're all commissioned. You've all been given papers. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Go, make, teach. Open the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Oh, it's so nice when you come home. After you've been out on the mission field, it's just so wonderful to be around those people that love you and have been praying for you and supporting you, and you get to tell the stories of what has happened. I think we get a small taste of that every Sunday. We come here, what did you do this week? What did God do this week? Can you, you know... Have you had any prayers answered? Do you have some prayers that I could pray for you? Let's roll up our sleeves and get busy because this is exciting stuff. Sometimes you got to dance through the darkness and sing through the fire. Praise when it don't make sense. Sometimes you got to stare down the giant. Worship from the lion's den. Sometimes you got to shout it from the mountain, louder in the valley, trusting that he's going to get you there. Sometimes you got to welcome the wonder, wait for the answer, worship with your hands in the air. Sometimes you got to praise in the prison, cry out to heaven, shout to the door, swing wide. Sometimes you got to stand on your shackles, brave in the battle, worship with your hands held high. Praise Him, give Him praise, give Him praise in the highest grace, give Him praise, give Him praise in the highest. He is worthy, yes, He is worthy of all praise. Father God, you are worthy. 
And we pray that now that you have purchased us by your precious blood, set us apart out of the darkness and into your kingdom, made us your children, adopted, that we cry out, Abba, Father, and you smile on us and you tell us, just like my son, I send you. Go into the world with this gift of eternal life and just spread it abroad. Share it with as many people as you can because I'm coming soon. Days are growing short. Time is running out. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've given us the commission. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us your Son to get her done. So we just pray now that we would step into that promise in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.